Good morning, folks. It is 10.24 a.m. Sunday, August 29, 2021. I'm sitting outside, enjoying a nice morning in the backyard of the house in which I am renting a room. Here comes Sammy the Cat, who is one of the more pleasant fixtures of this place. Very nice animal. My landlady will not allow him to stay in the house overnight for some reason. Um, I don't understand exactly what the distinction is between letting the cat in sometimes and not other times, but I'm trying to respect these little games and um, these little distinctions, differentiations. I don't own the place. So basically, he I start? Should I just tell you the whole living situation? So I am renting a, so it's a house, it's a split level. Um, the downstairs has a bedroom, full bathroom, and a living area, which is sort of a, and there's some utilities back there. There's a water heater. There was a, looks like a tool, tool, um, what am I talking about? Like a workshop area with a desk and stuff on the wall. I don't know. Last time it was used, there's an entertainment center, shelf, or what do you call it? Yeah, there, there's a fireplace, um, moderately decorated. So then when I moved in, I pretty much moved everything into my room. I made my room my primary um, workspace. So then, as you adjust to your environment, and things settle, and you get moved in and acclimatized things or acclimated, um, it became clear that that was not going to work because I made, I need to make some noise and the bedroom was right under my landlady's room so i thought okay well let me move all of my noisy stuff out into the living area because i'm renting she said i could rent basically the whole downstairs 
Um, so I did that. I moved all of my electronics, my work computers, my standing desk, my music making machines, all that stuff to the living area of the basement. And then the bedroom is just a bedroom where it is a bed, it has a bed and stores my clothes and dirty laundry, hamper, um, and which is sort of the way I would like it to be. I'd like the bedroom to just be a bedroom. Oh, shut the fuck up, you fascist bitch. Just a guess that that was a fascist bitch flying the helicopter. Anyway, it is a lovely day out of here. I should post some photos. I wish there were a way to post photos on the podcast. Well, you can go to my blog, of course, ourback.info, and see stuff. I'll try and maybe post some show notes, as they call them, I guess and show you what I'm looking at today. I mean, it really is pretty. I'm in Kelso, Washington. Beautiful view. The geography is nice. <clears throat> Pardon me. The, there are a lot of pretty trees around here. It's not flat. Um, I was sort of sick of flat in Mississippi. Just a reminder, everybody, I know I'm all over the place. I've, uh, I have a lot of stuff to say. <coughs> Stupid is everywhere. It is everywhere. Pardon me. had my morning shower to um, clear out my sinuses and refresh myself. But basically, the South does not have a monopoly on stupid, just so you know that. There's stupid all over the place. We just like to refer to certain types of stupid which I think is harmful because it lets us think that it's over there. Well, I've seen plenty of stupid in Northwest Washington, DC. In Glover Park, actually. I've seen plenty of stupid in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've seen plenty of stupid in suburban Virginia. Oh, there's shitloads of stupid in suburban Virginia. So when I make these remarks, please understand that, um, and I don't even know if I really make these remarks anymore, but I make them with the idea in mind that no one particular group has an exclusive 
investment in being ignorant or bigoted or unenlightened or anything else negative. All right. I was going to tell you about my living situation. So I moved my stuff out into the main living area. And so now it is my standing desk, my computer screens as they are, which are inadequate. I'm waiting for some money to come in so I can beef up my setup. I'm confronted, it's amazing to me, uh, again, by the rigidity and stupidity of corporate IT. So you have to use a VPN. Okay, that's fine. I think that's great. However, it breaks shit. It breaks all kinds of shit. So I can't use my keyboard and mouse sharing software. Sammy wants to get in my lap and I don't know if he can. Wanna come up here? Come up here, boy. He can do that. And come up here. There you go. Alright. He's a big cat. With some big claws. And I've bled all over the place for this cat. This is a really nice morning. I swear to God, this is a nice Sunday. You know, that's one good thing. Weekends, especially Sundays in Mississippi, were hell. They just were. Traffic was bad. They would actually shut down this Lakeland for the idiots flocking to Pine View or Pine Lake. Um... They had cops corralling traffic for all the churchgoers. And there was such a density of churches and everything was closed. It was so stupid. Just a sleepy, stupid place. And my kids are there. Thanks, Karen. Sure, they'll thank you also when they get older. There are better places they could have been growing up. But you had to take it the easy way, the scared way. And now you're in charge. You're about to have everything you want. Hope it turns out just right, sweetheart. I really hate what you've done. Alright, I'm going to try not to make this about my divorce again. So back to my living situation. So, and this is a really nice day. I have a little more of my Vega energizing drink in lieu of coffee this morning. I'm probably going to go on a big walk today, so why not? By the way, had a really good 
fantasy football draft yesterday with my friends in D.C. and Virginia. Thank you, Kamish, for keeping us all together. Um, I wish it had been a little more personable. I wasn't quite in the mood. I had a lot of stuff on my mind. I don't know if I would have been good company anyway. But it was nice to at least be somewhat connected to these people. Um, so about my living situation. So moved into downstairs. I won't go into the dirty business right now because I'm trying to focus on the positive things. I don't want to slander anybody. Um, but there are some points of contention about what were private spaces and what were common spaces. And for example, there is a garage door that, well, there's a garage. And the garage enters into what is I, what I'm considering to be my basement living room. I'm adjusting Sammy. Hopefully he's okay with this adjustment and will not dig his claws into my thighs. Seems okay with it. Hey, Sammy. You're a good boy. Oh my goodness, thank you for biting me in a lovely way. Okay. All right. Just as a reminder, this is the person with this cat. I see Judge Troy Odom, idiot. Why doesn't he see me here? Why can't I present this as evidence? This video footage of me sitting here with this cat peacefully should be presented as evidence that I am a rational, peaceful, loving human being. But they don't give a shit about that. And actually, my new attorneys, McNinch, law firm in Mississippi, maybe they're open-minded enough to present this kind of shit in court. That would be nice. Present video evidence. Think outside the box. That's what I would like these motherfuckers to do. This is why I wanted to get a law degree. Go into court and fuck shit up. Have an agenda. These people are like sticks in the mud. This one way to do things, the legal system. I mean, I've barely experienced it, but the legal world. So I can't really say anything about it from an, as an insider. But it looks pretty ugly. And 
petrified and just muddy and thick and disgusting. But I think it would be extremely interesting to be able to wield tools. I mean, if you could just, you know, I might try to get a law degree. That's what I wanted to do a long time ago. When I was trying to look for activist jobs in, when I was in Albuquerque in 1994, and I was trying to figure out how can I get a job that makes a difference? And pretty much every single career that I looked for in my research required, required a law degree. to pursue that. That seems very interesting. All right, maybe I'll put that on my list. As soon as I get my bachelor's, <coughs> another exciting development, um, then maybe I will pursue a law degree. Maybe that's the most effective way for me to help myself and achieve my aims in the world. Definitely would have helped Jackson Progressive Salon. I think I'm going to do that. Bachelor's degree, law degree. I was thinking about something in psychology or something, but I think based on what's going on in my life right now, I think law degree might be a little more useful. All right, I'm gonna look into that. So about the finishing the bachelor's degree, I was approached by Full Sail University a, I can't, I cannot vouch for their uh, <laughs> authenticity. They are based in Miami, Florida, and they are sort of a creative arts university. And I really don't, I've done no investigation into them. This has happened to me a couple times over the last few years. People have, um, is this still recording? Good. Um, people have called me and tried to get me to enroll in a university program, and they have walked me diligently and friendlyly and happily and patiently through a process of applying for financial aid so and apparently I'm eligible because I'm busted 
I have no ink. I've had very little income over the last few years. And so I qualified. The fees for the programs are pretty steep. So it really depends on what you're going for. Western Governors University is a very solid program and it's only 3,500. These other ones, it's sort of like, A 3500 a term or 3800 or something I'm sure that it's gone up but basically it's four thousand dollars a term thank you see I mean it was very nice nice dismount from the lap didn't claw me up or anything just decided he needed to get up and he got up good for him he's going to see the neighbor apparently Pardon me. Just finishing my refreshing beverage. All right. Where was I? Boy, this is all over the place. I think this is the first time I've ever done this kind of a segment. Um, I think it's because I've, I haven't had this much peace and tranquility in months, probably a year. And we're coming up on the anniversary of my idiot ex-wife's protective order, which kicked off this whole thing. This whole round of, this whole era of insanity and turmoil for me Again, for her, she's sitting just perfect in her little castle, the princess. Everything is right. She has her two little boys in the house. She has her dog. I presume Rocky's doing okay. I feel sorry for that dog. Hope the boys give it the humane, humane treatment that Karen is unable to because she has a cold heart and doesn't understand human dynamics. She doesn't understand herself, so she's not going to understand a dog. I hope the dog doesn't end up suffering as a result of her. I could see that happening. Anyway. <laughs> that whole situation was bizarre as fuck, man. Anyway, I can't wait to see my boys again. However that's gonna look. Um, my 
new attorney. When I say new attorney, I mean new attorney on the radar. So far, I haven't paid her anything because I don't have anything to pay her with yet. Still waiting for some money to come in. But um, she's trying to investigate converting my jail sentence for sending emails to my wife um, converting that to community service which would be wonderful <clears throat> then I could travel freely again because right now I'm afraid to get on a plane I'm afraid to get on a plane. I'm afraid to drive anywhere within probably three or 400 miles of Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, which is not bad right now because I don't have a car, but it's impacting my plans. And I'm starting to have plans now that I'm starting to have a little more stability and security. And <sighs> well, thanks for listening. I think I'm done for now. I've caught you up. You know what I know. I think there were some other things I was going to say, but it's just ran out of time. I think I need to move on to the next thing. I hope you have a lovely day. I hope you do something nice for yourself. Take care of yourself. Your body is your spacesuit in this adventure that we're on in the universe. that's it. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Good morning. It is 1031 on Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. And just wanted to say something that I don't think I've updated anyone on, but so I am just to recap, there is a trial scheduled that my ex-wife wanted, um, scheduled for September, I think 2021 and 22. And <clears throat> this was scheduled way back in something like February or March and it was based on her desire to remove my parental custody at first at least that's what it was for and 
an attorney, Rob Spotswood, who I thought was doing a good job, and um, in order to, we were trying to figure out ways to get Karen off of my back and drop the contempt charges, and which resulted in my getting a 90-day jail sentence, and so one of our strategies, Rob Spotswood and I, he didn't really give me much, I gotta say. And I'm not an attorney. I don't know what's possible. So I just trusted that he was thinking of all the good options. I've since come to see that he was not doing that. And uh, for example, The best thing that he could come up with was we could voluntarily terminate my parental rights, which would sort of like automatically give Karen all she wanted, I thought, because I didn't know what that entailed. I just thought that meant I'm basically surrendering my right to visit with them to have any kind of custody. What I did not know, and which he failed to tell me, which is that, and I think I've mentioned this before, not only does it terminate my rights to custody, but it also terminates my ability to adopt the children in the future which seems horrible. And upon speaking with additional counsel who I have not retained, I've only seen them on a consulting basis, like introductory consulting. Um, it turns out that's part of the state statute. So you can't, it's either all or none pretty much. And when I read that and I signed the document because that was the only document put before me and I notarized it and I emailed a copy to Rob Spotswood, but I told him not to file it. Plus it was my understanding. He couldn't file it until he got the paper document anyway. And I had not mailed that to him yet because once I read the part about not being able to adopt them in the future, I felt like that is, I just can't do that. And plus, the whole thing was contingent upon, I told him not to file it, until I got a chance to speak with Karen in advance to find out what her intentions were. Even if it were not legally binding, I at least wanted to speak with this bitch and see what kind of relationship I could expect to have with them once I surrendered my parental rights. Well, he was unable to get a conversation with them. <clears throat> I heard nothing back. And then I continued texting Karen in order to get this conversation. Upon finding out that I was texting her because nothing was happening, as usual, throughout this whole process, no attorney has been able to get anything going. And that's part of the reason why I 
violated the protective order and emailed her because I was trying to establish direct communication. She is a pussy and is not interested in that and doesn't behave like an independent thinking adult. And <clears throat> so I heard nothing, nothing but silence from her or her jackass attorney, which seems to be working in their benefit because if you're intransigent, it seems like that gets you what you want in that court system. So upon finding out that I was continuing to communicate with Karen or attempting to, Rob Spotswood said he was going to terminate his or withdraw as my counsel. So I was a little surprised, not shocked because that's not the first time that's happened. And so then I looked for another attorney. And meanwhile, the clock was ticking because it was getting closer to the September trial date and I was running out of options. So finally speak with one guy, keeps me waiting for an appointment. I went to a father's rights firm, Cordell and Cordell. And I think from the first point of contact to the time that I actually was able to speak with him and was ready to retain his services, which cost $10,000. It was probably something like three weeks. Might have even been longer than that. So finally I speak with the guy and then he realizes, oh, he has a conflict, so he can't even represent me on that date. So now it's even later. It's something like August or late July. I'm not sure which. So that doesn't give an attorney a lot of time to prepare for this thing. So he refers me to somebody else, McNinch Law Firm. So I speak with a woman there and was really pleased with my conversation with her. And she seemed competent, aware of the facts. She had already gone through my documents and everything. She, we had a good conversation. She listened to my story. She wanted to know the background and everything. And uh, asked some good questions. And she said she was going to consult with her partner and look at things and see how things looked. So I appreciated that. And again, they wanted $10,000. Let me know that this is probably just the beginning, that it was probably going to be longer. So in the meantime, again, it takes time. I'm not one of their clients yet. So it took a while to get back from them. Um, also, there was a delay for me. They asked me some follow-up questions, and I was preoccupied with things and I was sick for I had a uh, I think I had food poisoning or something and I was pretty much laid out for almost a week and um, finally got back to them and one of the good things for example that I wish Rob Spotswood had suggested was they were looking into possibility of getting community service for this 90-day sentence instead of jail and I appreciated that. Um, but the big thing was what to do about this stupid document that Rob Spotswood filed without my consent. Oh, so in speaking with McNinch, 
They then told me that they saw that this document that Rob Spotswood was not supposed to file had already filed it in court. So now it's on the record that I am terminating my parental rights. And to me, you know, the worst part again is the relinquishing my right in the future in any way. So I can't even adopt them if Karen kills over dead. <sighs> so that irritated me. So I got to back to Rob Spotswood. And even though he was withdrawing himself as counsel, he offered to try to revoke it, file a motion to revoke my termination of parental rights. So he sends me the document to revoke it. This is the part that's very bad for me. So in it, he lists a bunch of good reasons why it should be revoked, how it was contingent upon a conversation with Karen, which I did not have. I was trying to avoid jail, didn't know what else to do. And, but at the end, he sticks on that I was under the influence of dextromethorphan and which is an intoxicant that I was taking for medicinal reasons. So I'm fine with the part about taking dextromethorphan. That's on the record. I've been very open about it. Just like I've taken any other mood altering drug, either it's prescribed for by a doctor or not. And just for the record, one of the last psychiatrists I saw in Mississippi was actually trying to get me a prescription for a form of dextromethorphan, but it's not for public general use yet. It's in, it's classified as like a research drug or something. It's in testing. So people do get this stuff as a prescription and they're investigating using it as an anti-anxiety drug, anti-depression, probably some other things. So I'm not winging it, folks. I mean, I've taken this stuff because it helps and it serves a purpose. Um, so anyway, I felt like, how can I sign this document saying, going on the record saying I signed it because I was under the influence of something and that's why it should be revoked. And I just was not comfortable with that. And I went back to Rob Spotswood and said, I think this should be stricken and of course, like I said, the guy's trying to withdraw as my counsel. And I said, I understand your situation and I hate to ask you to make another revision and do more work for me. And, but I really feel uncomfortable with this. And he wrote back and basically just explained himself and said he was trying to make a persuasive argument. And I said, that's fine, but it's factually incorrect. And I feel like it would be it would set a horrible precedent stating on the record that I am doing things that I shouldn't be responsible for because I'm under the influence of something. He didn't say anything else. So then I was going back to McNinch and saying, look at this. What do you think? She wrote back to me and said that she felt like it should be, it should not be on there. And, um, but no one's offering to rewrite the document for me. And again, time is running out. So, but now I'm really broke. I literally have something like 28 bucks available to me in cash. 
no credit, just 28 bucks in cash. I'm still waiting for my first paychecks to come in for my new job. USAA insurance completely fucked up issuing the check for my stolen car, which was declared a total loss, I think back in July, maybe even June. But first they sent the check to the wrong address, then I corrected the address. Oh, first they put it in a deposit account with USAA that was closed and unavailable to me. So I wrote them back because I tr finally tried to withdraw it and I couldn't because they locked my account. So I said, would you please reissue this check? So they reissued it. That's when they sent it to the wrong address. Then I told them the correct address, waited about eight days, still didn't get it. And I said, look folks, they still didn't get the check. They said, okay, where should we send it? And this was like three days ago. So I'm still waiting for this check. And if they do send it, it's something like $15,500 or something. I might end up having to spend 10,000 of that instead of putting it on a new car because I still don't have a car. I would have to retain the attorney's services. But now it's getting so late that I didn't even know if they would be interested in doing it because it's so close to the trial date. So this is what I'm, this is what keeps me up at night. And I don't know what to do. And it's possible that at the trial, they will simply read the document where I terminate parental rights and that'll be that. And the worst part is two bad things. One, that's not what I intended. And I'm voluntarily not just saying I don't want to have custody of my kids, but I don't want to be able to adopt them in the future, which is heartbreaking to me and not what I intended and based on poor legal counsel. The other bad thing is, and of course, I'm sure I'll see my kids again and talk to them before they're 21, one way or another. And I'll get the chance to explain that to them. But I still feel like it breaks my heart for them to have a document from their father that is giving this up. I was prepared to fight it as much as possible in court. And now I don't know if I'll have that opportunity because I feel like after the trial, no one has given me any hope that there's any way to go back and appeal this or fight it a different way. Maybe there is. And I'm still waiting to hear from McNinch to see what the deal is. Um, so that's that. I'll let you know how it turns out. Good afternoon. It's 2.47 p.m. on September 1st, Wednesday, September 1st, 2021. And I was listening to a podcast episode of Tangentially Speaking with Christopher Ryan. <clears throat> And he was speaking about the topic was endangered species. And 
Toward the end of the podcast, he asked his guest about how she felt about the idea that some people he has spoken with say that, for example, when it comes to certain aspects of humans' impact on nature and the world, for example, if you're talking about how plastic has caused so much damage and destruction to plant and animal life and ecosystems and the ocean and the atmosphere and probably lots of other things, but that being the impact on nature itself. Probably the manufacture of it probably um, has caused damage also. And he said that some people feel like, well, plastic should exist because humans exist and humans are part of nature. So plastic, therefore, is part of nature because we're in it. And I'm glad he didn't necessarily agree with that perspective. He said it was something like whitewashing. But um, so the question was raised to the guest, do you see humans as being part of nature or apart from nature? And I felt like how I would have answered that question is philosophically, I feel like one of the big things that sets humans apart from every other species on the planet is the ability to reason and make choices, deliberate choices, and in this case, decide how you want to exist in the world. And I feel like, to a very little degree, is there some kind of inevitability in human social evolution or any other type of evolution? Because it's all based on the behavior of thinking deliberative animals being humans. And it is a privilege, I feel like, and to a degree a burden just because you have to think about it and decide. But I feel like we choose how we impact the planet. And we've made horrible choices so far. And to a large degree, it's because our societies, at least the ones that make the most difference, including at the top of the list, the United States of America, has been kept woefully ignorant because of many reasons, including the fact that the public sphere is dominated by elite interests, corporate interests, corporate money, Speech is not free. The broadcasting airwaves are not free. They're not democratic. Uh, if they ever were, they've been reduced in that regard dramatically since Reagan repealed the equal time provision. And um, then following all of these mergers in media, it's limited more and more the 
spectrum of voices that you hear on a daily basis. Even if you read the newspaper, you're really not getting a lot of diverse opinion. You're getting, sometimes you get opinion, and when you get it, it's pretty obtuse and narrow. And from these celebrity pundits whose job it is to basically crank out provocative pieces and not necessarily leading to any greater wisdom on the part of the reader and forget about television and um, cable news which really shouldn't be called news um, maybe infotainment so really um, that has made us laid the groundwork for us our making really horrible decisions to a large degree I don't live in another country but from what I've seen from the way a lot of other countries especially developed Western and Northern European countries they seem to govern themselves rationally and use facts and evidence to dictate the, the laws in which they under which they live and how they behave I would say England is a great exception because of their former imperial nature and close relationship or kinship I guess with the United States being very capitalist in nature and exploitative and um, anyway so I think it's sort of again whitewashing and letting humans off the hook by saying that because we're in nature and we do stupid things that justifies these stupid behavior that sort of is like raising your hands up and saying well I can't really use my brain so I might as well not even have use of it since I choose not to make fact-based decisions Therefore, whatever happens is great. So that belittles our thinking capacity. It belittles our own um, humanity. Basically by saying we're rats in a lab experiment and we just respond to stimuli. Well, that's unfortunate for people to think of themselves that way. I don't think of myself that way. And I don't think of other people that way either. And just wanted to say that. I feel like that's something I've been thinking for a long time and, and something I really feel like needs to be addressed socially. And people need to decide how they want to exist, how they want the world to be, the impact they want to have on the world. So I challenge you to examine your life and see if, it's, if you're living the way that you 
believe you should. If you're having the impact on yourself, your friends and neighbors and the larger society and the world that you think you should and see if it aligns with your principles. Maybe re-examine your principles because I feel like it's every person's responsibility. And um, there you go. That's my challenge to you. Man, I hate when I press record and the screen goes blank. I always think there's a problem. Anyway, so I think I mentioned on a previous podcast that I went to a when I was in Portland, the first several weeks I was here after I left Mississippi, I um, went to, well, it was hard to find a place that was open, a night spot, for one thing, and um, because of the mask restrictions and everything, so a couple places that um, were open. I went there and the people told me places were slowly starting to open back up, starting a little bit before I arrived. And, um, I was looking for karaoke places because that was really probably my number one favorite recreational activity in Mississippi until my favorite spot, um, stopped offering it. Fenians and DJ Rob or KJ Rob he does a lot more than that but when he's doing karaoke I guess you would call him KJ Rob anyway he was great and uh, he moved on and um, anyway so one of the places and then I discovered I can't remember how I learned about it I think it was through a friend I met here that um, Portland has these kink clubs and there are at least three that I know of. There are tons of strip clubs of various flavors. I think they have the highest number of strip clubs per capita of any place in the United States. And maybe, I don't know, the world? I don't know. Um, so I checked out some of those. Those were pretty interesting. They varied wildly in their presentation and decor decorum atmosphere just the whole thing there was one place that was pretty far in northwest took me forever to get a lift back and it was the camera what it was called or i would plug it but it was uh they called themselves a vegan strip club i can't remember how the vegan food was I think it was okay. And um, some of them offered lap dances. Some of them did not. One of them had a place where actually Mary's, which is probably one of the higher quality ones, I think. Um, it's a fixture downtown. Uh, you could sit in a 
you could go in a booth and there were these be these small opposing um benches sort of and you could be with the woman but i don't think you could touch her um so anyway so my friend told me about these that there were these kink clubs one of them was i think club pravada is more of a swingers club and then there were two other ones i think sanctuary and the velvet rope were more like kink not really swinging and um like sort of a bdsm type club and so i went to with a friend to the velvet rope and um so then i got a my first audio message and i need to i need to go back because i said the first person who sends me an audio message would get a i'd send them a, a gift so if that person is listening and would like to pick out a gift under 25 bucks I'll, i know that might be less of a surprise but if you want to pick it out and if it's available on Amazon Prime, I will happily send it to you. But thank you for your message, and I'll play it now and then respond to it. Hi. Not sure if you got my first message, but can you share what happened at the fetish club, please? Thank you. So thank you again for the question, and I'll see if I can remember. It's been a couple months at least, but um, no, shut up. Let me mute that. Okay. So um, let's see. So I went to the, well, I guess the main one that you were asking about I ended up going to two of them. I ended up going to, um, this is sort of a big reveal, I guess, but I went to Club Pravada. The, that's the more of the swingers club. And that was very interesting. First of all, um, they have the best that I've seen dance floor in music situation dj and everything of any night place i saw that was actually open so that was a i would have gone there for that anyway in fact i sort of did because i didn't know anything i'm not really i've never been exposed to the swingers scene or anything like that before so i had no expectations really um they do have so for example they have a bed in a prominent area upstairs and it's pretty much it's up against a wall it looks nice by the way they the interiors really well done they charge a heck of a lot of money <clears throat> for you have to be a member so if you pay for membership but then also you pay um, a whole lot for each evening. And 
um, there are discounts, like couples get the best rate, I think. Single women probably get a good rate and single men get the worst rate. And um, you can imagine why probably. So I only went there, I can't remember how many times, three times maybe. And, um, but like I said, so the downstairs is pretty much basically like a nightclub. There's some tables in the back. It's pretty open. So all the tables can view the uh, dance floor. In the middle of the dance floor, there's a cage and it can probably fit up to, I think the most I saw was four people in there, four women. And they were just patrons. They don't pay dancers, I don't think. And then upstairs, that's where the action happens. And it's, um, so you go upstairs and then there's a, I don't know how many rooms. I think there are like two or three rooms that are completely private. And you might have to reserve them, I don't know. Um, and the door shuts and you can actually have, they have intercoms, so you, you can actually hear what's going on in the other rooms. Um, if they let you hear what's going on, I, I assume everyone can turn off the intercom if they want. Anyway, so then they have these booths or rooms, I guess, but they don't have doors, they have curtains. So people, if they want to go in there and get naked and have sex, then they can either, they have the choice of either leaving the curtains closed or leaving them open. Um, they might have windows too, I can't remember. Anyway, and so like I said, in pretty much the middle of the upstairs, when you come up the stairs and come around the corner, there's this queen or king size bed and anyone could just go there and have sex and do whatever they want and I think I might have seen some seen a couple up there once and um, I think it was only once it must have been the first time I was there I was overwhelmed by what was going on and so I think that's probably why I'm not remembering it very well anyway so that was that that was Club Pravada um, the next one I went to was Velvet Rope, and that was more of a kink-oriented club. And there was a pretty massive line to get in. And I can't remember what the occupancy limit was, but, um, I can't remember what city it was in. It wasn't exactly in Portland. It was a little ways away. Um, or maybe it was in Portland, but farther outside of downtown and so you go in and like everything's right there on the first level it's two levels um there was this big area it was probably half of the downstairs that was just an open area it was roped off i think so only participants could go in there 
And so they had people there who would either, I think they did, I can't remember what these things are called, um, where they put hooks in you. I think there was someone who would do that. They would put you in stocks if you wanted. You could get up on one of those, I can't remember what these pieces of equipment are called. The one that's sort of like a, a big wooden X. They could strap you to that and then flog you if you wanted, spank you, do all kinds of stuff. So I saw some people having those things done. Um, it was interesting. And on the opposite side of the room, there were, I think, booths. So you could sit at the booth and see what was going on. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some things, by the way, but that's basically, this is generally what was happening there. So then you go upstairs and, oh, there was a bar downstairs. And then you go upstairs, there's another bar. And that was mostly for, um, just people to sit and, uh, socialize in the back corner of the upstairs there was a similar situation but it was only for one person at a time i think where you could go up and get whipped or whatever float your boat and then when you go through the hallway upstairs there's a shower um you can either shower yourself you can shower with somebody i think there was only one i can't remember there was a and then i think more seating um, I can't remember what else was upstairs. Sorry, Elle, I'm, I'm saying I can't remember all this stuff. And you go outside from the upstairs, I think. <laughs> and um, there was a big jacuzzi or whirlpool tub or whatever. And, um, and then some outdoor seating for people to sit and you could smoke out there if you wanted to um but it was definitely lively and they had no shortage of patrons and um i can't remember what the cover was but it was it's nothing like club Pravada. i think just because of the nature of what goes on there and it there they don't feel like they need to keep it as exclusive as club Pravada. i think because at Club Pravada, they want to, you know, manage the ratio of men to women. Or at least the ratio of single men to women. Um, yes, I think that was it. Um, if I remember anything else, I'll mention it. But I did not go to Sanctuary. I don't know if I will go. I think those other two would probably cover all of my bases if I were to go to one of those places again. But again, <clears throat> I mean, it's almost worth going to these places because of the, just the bar and the music and the ambiance. Like I said, places were, unfortunately, I felt pretty slow to reopen. And um, like I went into this, and it's a shame because some of them seemed like they would be really nice under normal circumstances. There was this one place I can't remember the name. It had something to do with a cat or like, I can't remember. Kitty Cat, not Kitty Cat Club. That doesn't sound right. But it was, uh, they had karaoke 
and um, they they had one I think karaoke stage in the main room, but then also it was the kind that was sort of like in Japan, where you can reserve or rent a room, and just go in it, and have a private karaoke party, I think with up to six or eight people in it, and but didn't have anyone to go with and didn't feel like doing that by myself um but that was one of the that was one of the few places i saw that was um seemed nice and i bet they would do a lot of business but like i don't think they they were able to open the main karaoke stage because you'd have to have a mask on so i don't know what it's like now because i haven't been in portland in several weeks but um with the way things are with the Delta strain and all that crap, I imagine it's probably locked down pretty well still. Again, which is unfortunate. And there were only a few places that I found. I was in the Alberta neighborhood of Portland. That was where the first place where I rented a room in a house. And um, there was only one place, I think, within probably a five mile radius that actually had live music. And um, again, that was one of the other, karaoke is a big thing for me going out at night. And then the other thing is live music. So it sort of sucked to come to Portland and not being able to see live music. So I can't wait. COVID in that way has really cramped my social life because ever since my wife kicked me out of the house, um, that was really my big connection to other people. And it sucked to have that taken away. Anyway, so there you have it. So, I haven't had much of my own background music going on in these segments, as you may or may not have noticed. And to a large part, that's due to my new living situation, where I have to keep it pretty quiet most of the time. It's tricky because my landlady and her daughter live upstairs, and I have the basement and a bedroom down there. And... No matter where I go, someone's bedroom is almost directly above me. So I have not had the luxury of my awesome PA system that I had in Mississippi. Um, I do have a nice sound system, but I just can't crank it up. And um, anyway, having said that, so I was thinking that um, I wanted to talk about the role of drugs in my life, since especially because that's been such a it's basically been the primary 
um, point of contention in my relationship with my ex-wife and in our post-divorce relationship, um, legally at least, that's been pretty much the main allegation brought against me <clears throat> for why I should not have anything to do with the boys. Um, I don't regret anything that I've done. I've done it all very thoughtfully and deliberately and openly. I've not hidden anything. And some people say that is I part of my how I've gotten into this mess by being so open with Karen, both prior to her kicking me out of the house and after. For example, I told her, I told her when we were still together that, um, so I was taking dextromethorphan medicinally and also recreationally sometimes. <coughs> Like, um, after the boys were in bed, on weekends, sometimes I would take a little extra. Um, for, for the most part, like 80, 90% of the time, it was just a, a, what I would call a therapeutic dose. And um, I told her, I expressed to Karen that I wanted to if possible, try something else, something natural like mushrooms. And I didn't want to buy them because I felt like that would be riskier than actually growing them myself. And she didn't like that idea of growing mushrooms in the house, and I understood that. So I just felt like, well, okay, I'm going to continue taking dextromethorphan until something changes. Um, I might have to hang up because it seems like one of the yard... Um, maintenance people is here so if it gets noisy i need to hang up um and then after she kicked me out and after we were divorced i was very public about my experimentation with growing mushrooms i did grow like i think at least two batches of them maybe it was even just one batch i think i planted or whatever the right term is one batch and then after i picked them all another batch grew up so um anyway she cited that as evidence in her complaints against me to try to have me involuntarily committed to a mental institution because she has the mindset of someone who has grown up in the dark ages and secondarily to prevent me from ha having anything to do with my kids both now and until they are 21 years old which in retarded Mississippi is when they're adults so um 
I continued taking the dextromethorphan after she kicked me out of the house. And the mushroom experiments never really got off the ground. They, I just didn't have the mental bandwidth to commit to trying to do what was necessary to get that going to the um, degree of quality that I wanted to. So I just put that on the shelf. Um, every once in a while, I would have some... I always had a bunch of liquor at the house just so if I wanted to have liquor, I could have whatever liquor I wanted, but I didn't really drink much at home. Um, if I did drink alcohol, it would be when I went out to open mic night or to see a band or go to a club or a bar. And I would have one or two drinks and it was nothing excessive. Then I got the 90-day jail sentence and there was a warrant out for my arrest in Mississippi and that is when I left town because I did not want to go to jail for 90 days and at that point I realized regardless of what was going to happen in courts I did not see a way to be a co-parent especially a local co-parent with Karen which again it was heartbreaking. That was a very tough decision for me. But I had to basically resign myself to that fact. And so I left. So I went to where we were both going to go. But she fucked up that plan and bailed out on it. Because she's a coward. And um, so I went to the Northwest by myself. Got a rental car because my primary vehicle was stolen. My Kia Soul was stolen out of my garage. I mean, out of my driveway. And so then I went on to Portland, Oregon, and was renting a room in a house and continued taking dextromethorphan as I was. And things were going fine. And somehow, I think it was because of money, because when I went there, I was still unemployed, still actively looking for jobs. And my savings were dwindling. And I figured, well, I should probably have a backup. And half the people in the house smoked marijuana on a regular basis. I bought a bong and... um Right, uh, one of the housemates was kind enough to pick out a decent starter bong for me, one that you could put ice cubes in because I did not want to. I just can't smoke with a bowl. It burns my throat. I hate it. Coughing indicates something horrible, in my opinion, and I did not want to deal with that. So he gave me the... He bought me the smallest bong that... You could put ice cubes in to cool it off. And so I tried it once or twice and did not pick out my own um, marijuana. They picked it out. I got one. I think it was called White Christmas. And um, I can't remember how much THC it had. 
But from what I understand, Indica is probably what I need, not the other one. What's the other one? I can't remember. Um, so it made me nuts. And I don't know if it was because it was, I was also taking some dextromethorphan at the time. Um, but first of all, it was extremely strong. And second of all, there may have been a drug interaction of some kind, uh, or I just might've smoked more than I needed. But, um, that was an unpleasant experience. <laughs> it was not a calming effect. It wasn't anything like what I get from dextromethorphan. So as far as a substitute, white Christmas was not cutting it. So I was going to eventually, as time permitted, conduct some more experiments and go to the um, smoke shops or whatever you call them, dispensaries, and experiment and try and pick something else, but I never really got around to it. But what I did do was I ended up drinking more alcohol. So I would take my minimal amount of dextromethorphan in the morning, and then I would supplement with alcohol throughout the day. And I didn't really keep track of it because I never really have ever had to monitor my alcohol consumption in the past. And finally, I moved to Kelso, Washington. Well, first I met my friend, who I will not mention her name right now. Um, and so I spent some time with her at her pl place. It was sort of a refuge. Um, and so she would have some drinks in the evening and then I continued drinking my, whatever it was, tequila or whiskey or vodka, whatever I felt like I wanted. And I didn't realize how much alcohol I was drinking, even on top of the dextromethorphan. And then I felt like I started noticing some physical effects of the increased alcohol consumption. My weight had started to go up. I don't know how much of it had to do with that. But also, I just felt like my, this might be paranoia or something. But I started feeling like I had more inflammation in my body. And also... As my weight started going up, I started feeling like, I don't know if you're aware of the difference between visceral fat and whatever the other kind of fat is. Um, there's the fat that I guess is in, inside the chest cavity surrounding organs and stuff. And the other kind is the kind that's more visible. It is like uh, love handles, rolls of fat. It's... Um, Closer to the epidermis, I guess. I don't know how you would describe the distinction medically. But I started feeling like I was having some negative consequences. So I pretty immediately, drastically cut my alcohol consumption with the goal of bringing it down to pretty much zero. And I think I started feeling better. And... was pretty much taking the only drugs I really consumed on a regular basis were um, whatever was in cigarettes, caffeine, not a whole lot, and um, 
dextromethorphan. So one thing I've noticed when I have, <clears throat> well, I should say, when I, you know, I do take dextromethorphan for a reason. And um, when I stop taking it, it reminds me of those reasons. And so a couple times I've basically, when I've gone broke or just felt like I didn't have the money to afford it, I have gone without dextromethorphan for anywhere from two days to two weeks, maybe three weeks or something. And during those times, and I've also noticed this when I was in Mississippi, when I would go through different times where I would conduct experiments on my own. Um, like, for example, when I was in Mississippi and I saw my therapist, Chris Huff, and <clears throat> when I was taking a decent amount of dextromethorphan, sometimes maybe a little more than I needed, I would go in there and we would talk about anything and I didn't really get very emotional. I mean, I felt emotional, but I didn't get, for example, if we we're talking about my two little boys, Elliot and Wesley, and how I wasn't seeing them and I didn't know if I was ever going to see them again, I wasn't immediately sobbing or involuntarily sobbing. However, sometimes when I was not taking very much or didn't take any for a period of time, if I decided I need a, needed a drying out period, I would go in there and even thinking about it would bring me to tears. And so that was an interesting thing to note. Um the degree to which it sort of prevents involuntary emotional response or emotional external outbursts like that. And I didn't know if that was good or bad. That made me question whether or not it was actually muffling my feelings to an extent. Was it creating an artificial optimism, an artificial positive mood, or was it simply showing me the other half of, or the other side of the coin? Like it wasn't all downhill. It wasn't all bad news, doom and gloom. There was also a bright side, which was I'm alive, seeing things in a better perspective, seeing that there are, I have choices in life. Um, nothing is written in stone. And basically having a more even-keeled approach to things. So, then I come to, so then I move out of Adolfo's house, which is the first place I lived in when I moved to Portland. That place got extremely chaotic there was a lot of conflict in the house and um, so I was forced to leave basically I was basically evicted after my rent ran out 
even though I was not part of the conflict, I was associated with the parties involved in the conflict. So it was guilt by association. And so I had to find another place to live. So my friend had a friend who was renting out her basement in Kelso, Washington. So then I moved in there and it was about four to six weeks ago that I moved in here. This is where I currently am. And I had dextromethorphan and I was taking it. Things were okay. I was also still drinking a little bit, not much, because like I said, when I was um, toward the end of my stay at Adolfo's, I was trying to cut down my alcohol consumption to as little as possible. And, um, but I did have some alcohol, not a lot, and um, not throughout the day. It was only inter intermittently and limited to the evenings usually and um, mostly as a sleep aid because with my stress and feeling overwhelmed by things, all the things that I have to do, the sale of my house, the trial in September, my van in Mississippi that still needs to be sold, trying to get my reimbursement check from stupid USAA for my stolen car, which they misdelivered at least twice. I still haven't received it, even though they originally issued it about eight or 10 weeks ago, something like that. Um, so I felt like I could use a depressant of some kind. Um, then I ran out and was waiting for my new job to start for one thing. I've only been doing that for four weeks and I finally got my first paycheck a few days ago. So I didn't have any money. I was busted. I had $150 cash in my wallet. I had $30 in cash app and that's it. No credit cards, no nothing. So I had 180 bucks. And so I didn't order dexamethorphan. And um, that was, I think last Sunday was my last dose. And predictably, I've experienced the withdrawal that I would get when I just stopped cold turkey. When I was with Dr. Pacheco in Northern Virginia or DC, my, the psychiatrist I saw for six years, wonderful woman who retired at the same time I moved to Mississippi. Um, she called them the brain zaps, or she said some of her patients called them brain zaps. When you have a serotonin uh, some any, a drug that affects your serotonin levels and you stop a cold turkey it could um, cause these sensations where you sort of have um, these moments where you're it's like just a sudden period of lightheadedness that goes away immediate, almost immediately um, so I started having those probably yesterday and it's not a huge life impact. It's something I've become accustomed to when I've, whenever I've stopped dextromethorphan in the past. So it wasn't a surprise or a shock to me or anything. But I also did notice the same thing where I felt like I was more prone to 
depressive thoughts, depressing thoughts. I did not focus as well. It was easier for me to feel overwhelmed by things. Um, it was easier for me to feel anxiety in different situations. Whether it was out in public, um, talking with people I wasn't familiar with, new situations. Um, let's see, what else? What are their circumstances? Well, the big one was throughout the day, for example, I would get these uh, really good one. A good example is when I would look at my phone and see these Google Photos notifications that say, remember this day five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And it would show me pictures of me and Karen in the condo that I bought, the first place where we lived together, or pregnancy photos, or pictures of my kids at Disney World. And those had a much, much greater impact on me when I was not taking dextromethorphan. And, um, Part of it was I wouldn't even notice it at first. It wouldn't register with me. I would just realize that I was feeling sad and my thinking was more negative. And eventually I, thinking about it, I just traced it back to these events. And and then also just throughout the day, anything that reminded me of my kids. Or there was rumination sometimes, especially at night when I'm by myself, I don't have any friends, I don't have a girlfriend, I don't socialize primarily because I don't have a fucking car yet. Still waiting for my reimbursement check so I can either hire an attorney or buy a car or both hopefully. And at those times, I was really vulnerable to thoughts about loss and worrying about the outcome of the trial later this month. And these attorneys, man, I know everyone's busy, but It's sort of like if you're an ER doctor and you can't, or an ER team or something, and you just can't treat all the patients, maybe you shouldn't have an ER. Seems like that's one of those occupations where if you have an emergency room, you should be able to adequately treat every single goddamn person who comes in there. Shouldn't say, oh, we're only, our capacity is only 15 emergency patients. Sorry. You just have to sit here. At least refer the person to somebody else who can take care of them. And 
in my experience with attorneys so far there is not that degree of attention or compassion for everybody um, because you wouldn't be going to an attorney probably unless you were pretty fucked at some level and there's been no recognition I'm not saying that people I've spoken to are incompetent I'm just saying that it seems like it's the exception for people to recognize the role that they're playing in these human people, human beings' lives, to give them adequate attention. <sighs> anyway, so my point was basically, a, I take dextromethorphan for a reason, and through repeated experiments, trials of not taking it taking different amounts it has been borne out to me that it is worth taking for me and it's done a far far better job than anything else I've taken prescription medication or otherwise and The other thing I guess I have to say is I'm still trying to work on, I got a recommendation. I went into a vape shop recently because I thought they would sell, I can't remember how these stupid rules are in our stupid country. Like some shops can sell marijuana products, some, some can't, but they can sell highly potent CBD tablets and all kinds of vaping liquids that may be carcinogenic. Who the fuck knows? Um, anyway, so I got a re recommendation from somebody recently at a vape shop to go to, I think it's called Freedom Market in Kelso or Longview, Washington. I told the guy, he was really nice, spent a lot of time talking to me. I think it was Viper Vapes in Kelso, and they have at least five locations around Washington, I think and um, told him that I really hated smoking it. I have no idea, that was number one. Second was, I have no idea what I should be taking, what would be best for me. So he recommended I go to Freedom Market. I think that's what it's called. They have two or three locations around here and try either edibles or they have these um, pre-filled cartridges with um, cannabis with, and they have different formulations just like they have different strains of the flower you can buy and you can have different com combinations of THC and CBD. So I need to go there sometime this week. I don't know if it would be, based on my experience, I still don't feel like it would be a good replacement for dextromethorphan. But maybe it could be a good, every once in a while, replacement, possibly a supplement, um, or who knows, maybe I can replace it. But also, because mushrooms are either legalized in Oregon or decriminalized in Washington, I believe, 
I would still like to go forward with the growing of them and see how that would go. So I will update you about the progress if you're interested. This is one of the longest segments I've ever made. Hopefully it was interesting. It's almost 30 minutes. Anyway, um, and just for the record, when I was, I've been seeing therapists of different kinds, including, like I said, a, the same psychiatrist every week for six years. I've tried many, many pharmaceuticals for anxiety and depression, ADHD. Um, I've never been diagnosed with anything. I've been diagnosed with minor symptoms of all of those things. And so we tried a bunch of medications and either they didn't do a good job. There were only one or two that actually felt like made a difference. One of them were, was the class of beta blockers. I think that did make a difference, but all of them had significant sexual side effects. Basically, I, I don't think I ever had, an, had a problem with erections. I had problems with orgasm. I could not have an orgasm. It was a very frustrating experience. And if you're depressed already, then on top of it, you can't have orgasms. That seems like someone just punching you in the face when you're already down. And I didn't like that. Dextromethorphan, just for the record, the effects are not, for example, when I was taking mirtazapine, Remeron, you would have, it's one of those drugs where you have to let it build up in your system. Well, <clears throat> Say you're taking mirtazapine and you're going on a weekend out of town with your wife and you want to be able to have sex and have an orgasm. Well, you can't just stop it on Friday. You probably have to stop it like three or four weeks before. And that's not practical, it's not medically advised, and it's counterproductive. If it's actually doing anything for you. I didn't feel like it was actually doing anything for me, but anyway. Um... Dextromethorphan, you can sort of plan on that. The effects generally wear off within, even if you're taking a large dose every day, large, large dose, like way more than you need. It generally wears off within 24 hours, 36 hours. So you can plan on that stuff. And you can also just take a smaller dose when you're going out. Like, well, anyway. I won't talk about dosages right now. Anyway, so I think I've said what I want to say. Thanks for listening. So I was doubting the wisdom of making a post like this, either on this podcast or on my blog at ourback.info, if you're interested. Um, and I felt like it was probably worth it to me to go ahead and do it, because it 
kept popping up on my mind and but I've felt um, like I said in the previous segment I think about drugs and mental state and depression anxiety all that other stuff um, about how I've not just thought more about missing my boys um, but also my regret for how things have transpired between myself and Karen and there were a lot of good things about our life together and I miss having a home a full home with people in it. I miss having a mate that I love. And of course, things, in my opinion, of course, to be fair, um, things, I stopped getting what I needed from Karen a long time ago, long time before she kicked me out of the house. Long time. Like, at least a year um, but up to that point I was still filled with hope and optimism and feeling like we could make it work because we made a commitment to each other I still loved her I still love her oh my god sorry about that um, And I was not giving up on us, as she did. She gave up on me. She gave up on the marriage. And I don't know if I will ever really forgive her for that. And, um, but anyway, my point was just that I've been filled with these feelings and I just wanted to express them. And um, <clears throat> I do hope that eventually I will see my boys again before they're 21. And hopefully after this trial in September, Karen will feel like she's gotten everything that she's wanted. And be in a position to confidently allow access to me, to the boys. I was hoping that prior to this trial and everything, that we could have a conversation or we could discuss this, but she's been unwilling to do that. So I'm basically left in the dark to simply wonder for months and months and months and months, this has been my overriding preoccupation. What's it going to be like after she gets what she wants, which is complete control of the boys, full rights to the boys, exclusive rights to the boys. 
and basically removing me as their father in any way other than in a biological and emotional way, which I feel like is a complete travesty. I don't get, I don't want to get nasty about it, but I feel like that is, um, almost evil. But there's nothing I can really do about that now. I don't think, depending on what my potentially new attorneys think about things, um, based on what I know from friends and previous attorneys about the retarded Mississippi legal system and in particular Rankin County's chancery court system and more particularly the judge that's involved in the case his prejudices and biases and lack of either intelligence or wisdom or information. I am probably very screwed. So, like I said, I just hope and have faith that after my trial in September, um, Karen will have enough security and not be fearful, at least as fearful as she has been in the past, and loosen up and allow me to at least speak with my children on the phone for example, if not actually have them come visit me someplace because I'm still subject to an arrest warrant in Mississippi. So I'm definitely not going there anytime soon. Um, and also I have to say when I have made my posts on here or on my blog, I have done that with the idea in mind that my children will eventually read it. And I've felt like based on the kind of person I am, what my creative interests are, which are basically expressive um, forms of art, either blogging or podcasting or producing music, writing lyrics, whatever, um, performing them, recording them. I felt like I chose a long time ago to live my life as a, an exposed person and exposing myself to also criticism and judgment. And um, I'm comfortable with that. And I feel like if I've been living honestly that if my 
children, Elliot and Wesley, were to read my stuff, they would see that it's not simply daddy being nasty to mom, mommy, but also the expressions of love that I've made. And there's a whole spectrum of emotion that I have for Karen and anybody at any given moment. And um, I feel like that's life. Life is not purely the good things. Good in quotes. I feel like basically it's all good. Um, and to shield people, especially children, and would, that is probably one of my greatest regrets, this aspect of being a parent, which is being able to provide a role of guidance, of assistance, of support. I don't get to do that with my kids right now. And that's one of the larger, maybe the largest thing that Karen has robbed me of, which is one of the reasons why I don't know if I can ever forgive her for what she's done. She's basically stolen away not just my children, but my fatherhood. And that seems criminal and unethical. And there's a worse word that I'm trying to think of. Well, I can't think of it right now, but, um, I mean, that is significantly fucking with someone else's life based on what? On fear. That is it. That is it. There is no justifiable way to get what she is likely to get in September Um, and her primary motivation for it or justification for it is purely irrational fear, which is, I feel like, the problem, the primary problem with her. She has a, has a fear of getting fat, Fear of eating in public um, with her eating disorder and everything. Her fear of not having enough money. And I really don't know how disingenuous her argument was about being fearful of me. I cannot imagine that she actually thought that I would physically harm her, much less the children. I just don't get that at all. She's in a, well, I don't know. 
how she's revised the legal complaints that she's made, but um, I think her recent ones don't mention the children. It's mostly her, I think. Or maybe she did include the kids in the most recent ones. I can't remember. Being fearful of my physical harm of the kids. But um, in any case, her, I have never laid a hand on her. I've barely ever even lost my temper with her. Uh, but the one, one time I did was all it took for her to ask me to leave the house. And I never spent another night there again. And uh, I think that sort of says it all. Um, anyway, so Elliot and Wesley, if you're listening to this, I just want to let you know that I love you more than anything. And I've missed you so dearly since mommy took you away from me almost a year ago. On September 20th, it'll be a year, which is just about 17 days away. And every night I think about you guys and It just breaks my heart. And I just have to, the only way I can really get by is by just having faith that we will see each other soon somehow. And I will do everything that I can to be your dad again. I know I'll always be your dad, but to have that relationship with you that I've missed for so long and I look forward to that very much. That's basically what I live for at this point. So there you have it. Thanks for indulging me. I will stop it now before I ramble on anymore. Goodbye. Good evening, folks. It is 11.51 p.m. on Saturday, September 4th. I am standing outside waiting for my food to heat up in the toaster oven. And it's pretty cool because it is a multi-function toaster oven that has, um, in addition to bake, broil, uh, some other things, toast, something else. It also is an air fryer. And um, I've gotten really into air frying recently. Um, I haven't purchased one of my own, but my friend um, in Vancouver had an air fryer. Actually had a, what's it called? Instapot? Instant Pot? Um, it was a pressure cooker, air fryer, something else. And 
I started air frying everything. I would air fry the veggie fish fillets, veggie burgers, leftover pizza, pretty much everything. And it did a wonderful job. And <clears throat> so I'm fortunate enough that the place where I'm renting a room in now has one of these things. Air frying is great. Um, what I was going to say was um, tonight I was standing on the back porch and looking out into the sky and there's not a whole lot of light here uh, light pollution in Kelso so you can see a lot of the sky and the stars and planets and stuff from the in the back porch and the front yard um, so I was using Google Sky Map and I don't know if I don't know what there is for that with iPhone um, but that's an app I've used on my Android devices for years and it's really cool and I'm glad it seems like they've started um, developing it again and publishing updates seemed like a couple years ago there were there was a long time without updates I thought they were going to discontinue the app but it really is a wonderful tool and um, I don't know if that particular app is available on iPhone or not but it basically gives you an overlay onto the sky so you load up Google Sky Map and then hold it up to the sky and um, it shows you what planets and stars and constellations you're looking at. You can also search for those. You can search for a particular planet or star or constellation, I believe. I've only done that a few times and it'll show you where it is. And um, it does I, some other cool things I haven't really used. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say something about that, um, partially to publicize it because I feel like cool things like that, um, the more people use it, the more it will be developed. And also just to let people know something like that is out there. So that's it. Goodbye. Let's see. Hmm. All right, I clicked on add flag just now and I don't know what it did. It said flag added, now is it. So maybe I have to go back. Oh, I see. Maybe it's adding a flag to a particular point in time on the segment that I'm recording. That might be. It's 12.54 p.m. on Labor Day, Monday, September 6, 2021. I am going to take a shower. I've just been doing stuff around the house so far this morning. And then I'm going to go to Freedom Market in Kelso. 
and see if I can get some good advice for some edibles to buy their dispensary and um, maybe even some vaping cartridges because um, since I've been here I think I mentioned oh yeah in the drug segment on this episode um, when I was staying in Portland one of my housemates picked out a bong for me because I just didn't want to um, I couldn't smoke with a bowl because it was just too hot bothered my throat and I don't want to just sit there and cough um, the bong was better but still not awesome and I didn't want to deal with the overhead and I guess once I if I were to get in the habit maybe but um, at least not having easy access to the kitchen it was just a deal breaker there was no ice maker um, the freezer was often too full to even have ice cubes in it so it was just a pain and that's why I got it because it had those um, catchers or whatever where you could it could hold ice to cool it off more so I still have the bong and um, then uh, someone gave me some joints to try they don't really have a filter they have these because um, you don't want a filter I guess and so they have um, it's just basically like rolled cardboard at the tip a rolled paper and um, so the first couple puffs were probably no problem but then the second half at least it was just hot smoke and um, so same thing so that's why I decided if I were to smoke I would probably end up vaping so I'll see how that is also I need to look at the price and um, anyway so I'll let you know how it turns out